1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? From the most exotic locations on Earth, Moonraker will transport you to another world. A trifle overpowering your scent. Holly was a warm girl with the right connections. Could this possibly be the moment for us to pool our resources? We would be better off working together. More excitement, more thrills, more spills. And guess who's dropped in for a bite? Jaws is back. to the most spectacular adventure in space, Moonraker. It's out of this world. What exactly are you up to here, Drax? Moonraker 1, liftoff. Moonraker 2, liftoff. Moonraker 3, liftoff. 
entire city in space. James Bond and the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and we are looking at James Bond once again, which means I am here with Chris Tyler and Dave Pascarella. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going well. How are you boys doing? Doing all right. So today we are looking at the 11th Eon Productions James Bond film, Moonraker. So it's the 11th film, it's the fourth Roger Moore film, it's the follow-up to The Spy Who Loved Me, which ended telling us we were going to get For Your Eyes Only, but with the popularity of Star Wars, uh, they made a uh, change and they decided to go with Moonraker, Mm. and this came out in 1979, and once again, I saw this in 1979, and upon first viewing, I have to say I liked it. But while while I stand by what I've said in the past that I, I can enjoy every James Bond movie, and I do, uh, this one has kind of dropped in my estimation over the years. This is not one of my yeah. favorites. Yep. Yeah. I, I feel like it was hastily put together. The story is quite derivative in many ways of past things that we've seen. Uh, the special effects, despite the fact that it had a very high budget, the budget is uh, approximately double what they had for The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, but despite that budget, I don't feel like the special effects are anything that stand out. Yeah, uh, the model work on the on the, the shuttles and the space station is is excellent, though. i got to say that. It, those are some nicely done models. Yeah, well, when I say the special effects, I'm talking more about the stunt work. Uh, yeah. The lasers, and even the foley work on the lasers, which almost sound like the uh, the thing that people make fun of when they go pew 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 pew. Yeah. <laughs> and some of the backgrounds, you know, the, the station and the shuttles looked great, but then when it cuts to the army truck arriving, like with the marines, the background kind of looks like it's a fake background. Yeah, there's some of this is it's got a little bit of 70s damage in terms of the visuals, but you know what can you do? Well, I'm assuming both of you gents saw this at some point on your television sets and not in a movie theater. I, I, I yes, I saw it on. You would be incorrect. Oh boy! I finally arrived at the theater. This was my first James Bond movie in the movies. Ooh. Okay, so now going to the movies, young Dave Pascarella walks out there, 
having seen what on the television at this point? Uh, I definitely saw Dr. No. I saw Goldfinger. Probably so you were, so you were indoctrinated with Sean Connery. Had you seen any Roger Moore at this time? I, I may not have even seen any uh, Roger Moore at this point. You know what? Probably I only saw maybe Goldfinger, now that I think back on it. Hmm. Because you got to remember, in 79, I was still seven. I would not turn eight till the fall. I was gestating. <laughs> when did this was this a summer release in '79? Uh, let me check the date on it. Hang on, June. Yeah. All right. So I have, I have five more months until I hatched. So. Right, and so then you, this, you you were uh, you were Chris the zygote. Yes, I was still yes. This yeah. was like one of the rare occasions as a kid that my father came to the movies. Oh. This was you know. Because uh, up to this point, you know, the movies I picked were, were mainly cartoons to go see, like The Rescuers and that kind of thing, and Star Wars. But this was, you know, my father, we're going to the movies, the, the whole family. Nice. And I don't really think I understood this. I may have seen Goldfinger, like I said, but I, you know, I may not have computed who exactly James Bond was at this point. All I knew was a space movie. Yeah. And then I didn't realize until watching it now that the space part doesn't come till the end of the picture. Last 40 minutes, yeah. But yeah, for me, I mean, I was impressed a lot more then than I was on this viewing. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, memory has not held up well on this one. <laughs> now, had you yeah. seen this many times in the intervening years or... Not so much. I don't think so. Not so much. You know, I remembered the plot and, you know, knew what was going to happen. A lot of things stuck out. But I don't know why. I thought, kept just remembering that it was, frankly, much better than I recalled. Yeah, this one is, uh, I mean, you know, when they're on TBS or, you know, you get borrow your, you know, your cousin's VHSs and you're burning through them all. You're watching them, and you you watch The Spy Who Loved Me, and then you watch this one, and, you know, you're just, Spy Who Loved Me is just such a high, and then you think that, you know, you're just going to go into the next one. And, you know, when I was younger, I definitely enjoyed it, Watch it, rewatching it, and, and this one I kind of watch rarely because, I'll be honest, I really don't enjoy it too much until they get to space because it's so goddamn ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's kind of a slog. It's, it is a little bit, and it, and I I feel, I feel like Bond was almost doing what they talk about with the Star Trek movies, where every other movie with Roger Moore, like Live and Let Die, was kind of a high. Man with the Golden Gun kind of brought it down a little bit. Then Spy Who Loved Me was to me peak Roger Moore. Then we come yeah. down a little bit on this one, and not to spoil ahead, but I am a fan of Your Eyes Only, which is coming yep. next. Yeah, this 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 one is uh is not. Has not really held up, and I mean, some of it's just because of they were, you know, pulling on the uh, zeitgeist of the time with the space stuff and jumpsuits and lasers, and and I, I mean, again, that's the stuff I like the most in this. But um, it's pretty by the numbers up until that point. Yeah, there's really. not not a lot of effort to be original in the story. 
uh, at all. No. But uh, let's let's take a look at it a little bit. Uh, you know, we have the pre pre credit sequence. Uh, now, first of all, the thing that strikes me, you know, the Bond is on the the plane and and the pilot turns on him and uh, he you know that he's jumping out of the uh, the plane with a parachute and going to let it crash with Bond in it. And Bond is fighting him before he gets out, but then Jaws comes up behind him and pushes him out of the uh, <laughs> out of the plane. So we do get a little uh, a little advance that you know Jaws is going to be in this movie, even though we don't see him again for almost another hour after that. Uh, but anyway, uh, the first thing that struck me is you know it's it's a pretty spectacular sequence, but yeah. the amount of in air control these guys show. We're already like really on the I can't believe this is real <laughs> level. Yeah, and, and I know that there's supposed to be an element of that. You're supposed to totally suspend your disbelief when you're watching a movie like this. But I want I want things to be somewhat grounded at some point. Well, this one strains credulity to the max. So, so I feel like we we automatically get a little bit of a silly tone with this because ultimately, you know, he wrestles the parachute away from the guy. Jaws is behind him and grabs a hold of him because, as I said, in midair, these guys, you know, in a free fall are able to control where they go uh, a little too well. And just before he goes to bite Bond's ankle, Bond pulls the parachute, which pulls him out of uh, Jaws's hands. Jaws free falls into a circus tent yeah. and is saved from the fall by a combination of the tent and the uh, the, the uh, what you call it the net for the uh, high walkers. Uh, so so and, and in the fall, I, I feel like now you know we're, we're already setting a silly tone. You you know what I kept thinking of with that? Who would have been the perfect Bond for this scene? Leslie uh, Nielsen. Oh God! <laughs> that, you know what? That that it, it, you I could see that. I'm am sorry to say I could see yeah, that. Yeah, you know what? This whole intro is more naked than it is James Bond. And don't let me catch you guys ever in America again. Yeah, exactly. So we cut to the theme song and the title sequence, and I don't recall what I said on our uh, on a, on our theme song on a Bond theme song episode. Uh, that I did with Andy Leyland and Luke Giaconetti, but this is definitely not one of my favorites. Oh God, it's a snoo- It's not. There's nothing catchy or memorable about it. I don't even know who sings it. Uh, Hang on, I dozed off. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, <laughs> very, it's bad. Exactly. You know what jumped out of the title sequence for me? The director was John Glenn. Yeah, that's about it. That's all I got out of it. Wow. They spelled his name wrong. An astronaut like that directing a movie? <laughs> How appropriate. So we follow that up with the traditional meeting with M and Q. And one of the things I found interesting is that he, you know, Q gives him the uh, wrist dart shooter, which, you know, comes in handy, as, as these things always do. Uh, but he tells him it's now standard equipment, and yet we never see it again. Well, standard equipment can change. I have a better question. Before we get too far, the hijacking of the shuttle. The United States was loaning the space shuttle to England. For what? Yes. Uh, Trip around the planet. Yeah. No. Okay. No. I mean, I don't object to lending our British allies any. I'm all in favor of that, but 
You know, mm-hmm. it's like, what are you borrowing it for? Unless they want, they're using it to subjugate us once again. Oh, my God. Anyway. Hi, guys. Uh, so, you know, we, we, we meet up with Drax, who's the head of uh, the company that produces the Moonraker shuttles. Or as I like to call him, Tall Peter Dinklage. <laughs> yes. That is, that is not a bad description. Now, it felt to me like they were chasing Blofeld here. Uh, they, they were trying to give him a little bit of culture, but also make him a little tough. But but then, you know, Stromberg in the last movie was sitting in a chair the whole time. He never did anything physical, and yet he always felt more threatening to me. Yeah, well, this guy, I mean, he's he's got a great look, but they got him stuck in the earth tones with the high collar. It's like, so you know he's bad. There's no color on him. You know, and, but he's yeah, got the, he's, the kind of the Blofeld onesie. Yeah. yeah, it's it's not. There's nothing memorable about him. It just that's that's the biggest problem with this movie. There's nothing memorable except for the things that are memorable are so wild that it's hard to take him seriously. <laughs> you can't take it seriously. No. And I love the whole disco Bond era. I, I do, but this one is. Ugh. Well, this one, you know, I think I think they had. They had a good idea on what to go for, like you say, with the zeitgeist of the time. But I think they just rushed it and didn't really put as much thought into how they were going to accomplish that as yeah. they needed to. And they missed, you know, they 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 misread their audience a little bit. Although this movie, <laughs> I, I should mention, you know, was the highest uh, grossing Bond film for quite a while. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's it's deep in the run of of this actor, and it's post Star Wars. Every sci-fi movie was making money, you know. So we 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 cut to the scene when you know he's doing the tour of Drax's uh, factory, and he gets put into the centrifuge, and they put it on high. Uh, Yawn. We did this in Thunderball. I was going to say, does this remind you of anything? Except he didn't get anything from her afterwards. No. I mean, it's, a, it's like the same thing. Oh, you know, I don't know how that happened, Mr. Bond. And and it, once again, James Bond is put into a situation where he would have been killed, and he, he doesn't do anything to actually get out of it. No. He just uh, gets very lucky. In fact, I'm trying to figure out why the thing stopped by him shooting... The console that didn't control anything. Yeah. Well, see now, now see that's my fix for this movie. All the stuff that you want to have in space with with the guys shooting each other, don't do that. Have it all be they need to take control of some sort of drone while on Earth and shoot the things out of the sky, and you don't have the ridiculousness of the zero gravity and the spacesuits and the lasers, and it's you know because the movie doesn't get ridiculous until the last forty minutes. But then you can't redo Thunderball. <sighs> yeah, which well, yeah, we'll get to that again too. Uh, so, and I wonder if there's something with the McClory uh, lawsuit that inspired them to try and recreate a lot of the Thunderball things. I think, like I said, I felt like they were already chasing Blofeld with Drax. We have the centrifuge scene, which uh, you know is is reminiscent of Bond in the exercise muscle back whatever you want to call it, thing in Thunderball. And then we have the, you know, the, the all-out battle sequence at the end. 
which is underwater in Thunderball, and it's in space here. This really is Thunderball in space. Pretty Good. much. With, and, and see, I'm not a big fan of Thunderball either. Like, that's my least favorite of, like, the first seven movies. I don't remember how we ranked them, honestly, but uh, it wasn't it wasn't one of our higher ones. But no. I think uh, I think actually from Russia with Love was might have been the lowest that we came on the first two. <laughs> but that's besides the point. Anybody who's listening, you you know how we did. <clears throat> so then then we have the scene where they're pheasant hunting, and huh. see now this this one from a story point of view kind of throws me off a little bit. Because, you know, there's the whole you missed and it turns out he didn't miss because he shot the guy who was who had him in his sights in the tree. But at that point, it's just straight up murder. And, well, he, do, he has a license to kill. So you can kind of you can kind of go with that. But at that point, there's no longer any subterfuge. He and Drax know exactly where each other stand. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's trying to pretend like they're, you know, innocent anymore. So why are we still, you know... <laughs> You know, why, why do we just, why, how do we just walk away from that and say, okay, see you later? Yeah, just shoot him right there. After the fact, now, I keep thinking he should have just brought Dick Janey hunting with him. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I guess they were going to say it was a hunting accident. So, Bond, it was a hunting accident. I guess. Yeah. So, uh, after Bond leaves, uh, Corinne, the pilot who, uh, Helped Who Bond. should have been the star of this movie? Well, yeah. Drax, Drax sticks his dogs on the, on her, and uh, that's a particularly vicious way to go. Yeah, uh, I was surprised to see that, because the rest of the movie is so kind of goofy, and that's just, there's really no way to couch a dog mauling and make it PG, really. Well, I, I, the only thing I take from that is that they're trying to establish just how vicious Drax is. Yeah. But it's not did enough. You know, did, did he bring the dogs into space? I mean, you know, I would have. We never see the dogs again. Wanted to see zero G, zero G dogs. Did you notice when he, they put the meat in front of the dogs and then he snaps his fingers? They speed up the footage as the dog is eating the meat. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, but I, I, didn't I, I mean, it's like the dogs are moving incredibly fast. Well, those dogs are probably uh, well-trained and well-sedated before they started shooting. You know, you can't have a dog <laughs> around. So, all right, let's uh, make sure they're nice and tired. Now throw the meat at them. Okay, speed it up in post. So we uh, we cut we, we cut from there to Venice with the motorized gondolas, and that kind of reminds me of Live and Let Die, you know, a little bit more derivative stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then we, you know, it also reminds me of, you know, they they actually kind of took it in uh, Indiana Jones and the uh, Last Crusade. Uh, but I that was better. I was going to say when, when they did it, then it didn't look nearly as silly as it does here, especially yeah. when the gondola goes on on land. Yes. It okay. really, it really, that was again not a special effect that was in any way awe inspiring at all. But explain t- this to me. He's in Venice. Clearly, the gondolier gondolier was uh, an agent as well, right? Right. Why did he need an undercover gondola for this? Why wouldn't you need an undercover gondola? 
I don't know. It just, it just seems like a bit of a stretch to me. It's a little too specific. Well, look, there, 007, I have this gondola. There's lasers in this movie, and you're complaining about the gondola? I don't know. The gondola may be the bridge too far. Also, oh. the guys, the assassin whose coffin eventually gets knocked off the bridge, they didn't check this out ahead of time, the clearance. Oh, so silly. I mean, it appears that, you know, from the look of it, maybe this is a way they really do this in Venice, you know, a funeral procession. But wouldn't it have to clear the bridge normally? You would think so. But, you know, maybe they just don't value the dead over there. Oh, he fell up into the water. And for a guy who had so many knives and was apparently such an expert, he got taken out in like five seconds. Uh, Clearly, knife guy will not be back in For Your Eyes Only. Thank God. We do have another return guest from the last movie at this scene. When he drives the gondola through the square, yeah. there's a guy drinking wine who does a double take. Oh, yeah, the double take guy. Yeah. That's the same guy from the last picture. And we'll see him again. Yep. Yep. It uh, did nothing for me. Yeah. So, now in in the factory where, they're, uh, where they have the, the nerve gas... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they thought or they were accomplishing by having the code... Uh, the musical notes be from uh, Close Encounters, other than to have the audience say, oh, I know that. Oh, yeah, that's it. It's that's a space it movie. That's, that's all it is. Did nothing for me. I wonder if they had to pay John Williams to license that. <laughs> I have no clue. Uh, and we all knew when they showed us that piece of pottery with the security system that was a million bucks. We knew where that was going eventually. Yeah. So Bond brings his superiors there to show him, and then when they come there, miraculously, Drax is just kind of in a nice living room, room. The fireplace. With Bob Vila. <laughs> and and I, uh, I, I feel like they turned against Bond way too quickly there. Well, you know, they know he's got intel. I'm sure he shared the intel with them. And yes, it's embarrassing, but wouldn't you think they'd want a little bit more to get to the bottom of it? I mean, M does. M kind of still believes him, which I kind of liked. You know, he, he won't come out and, uh, and and stand up to his superiors with it, but he, you know, he sends Bond, you know, on, on a, uh, you know, an undercover mission at that point while he's on leave. As, as he's done many times and will continue to do. <laughs> I just found it amazing they got Clint Eastwood in this movie too. Yeah, that's 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 a yeah. Like, what, was there a need for making them look like the man with no name? No, that, that, it actually just another, once once again, much like the gondola, it was taking Roger Moore and making him look silly as Bond instead of distinguished or classy. Yeah, Which I think goes against the character. Making him look silly goes against the character. You can have him be quippy, but not silly. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I know I've complained about some of the safari suits that they've, you know, made him wear in these movies. I never thought they were 
really silly until this one. It's like real. Okay, yeah, he's in another safari suit. Okay, great. But I the, get the it. safari suits were a style of the time. They're, you know, oh. you, you almost have to write that off because it is the style in that you know in the seventies. People were wearing things like that. But the uh, you know the the poncho not so much. And, then, and, yeah, oh, and, and just another musical uh, cue there when we hear uh, the Magnificent Seven theme playing. Yes. You know, I, I, and all these things that I'm pointing out, I, I, in my opinion, I think they kind of fell flat. I'm not giving you any of these as a say, saying, oh, yes, this worked well, unless I specifically say that. Yeah, they did not work well. <laughs> it's, it's trading too much on, oh, you like James Bond. James Bond does silly stuff. Sometimes James Bond wears weird stuff. Oh, you like these other movies? Here. Here are these other movies. You should never be reminding your audience of other better movies when you're referencing something. Bond shouldn't be chasing, chasing uh, themes, things like that. It's okay to take advantage of the popular things of the time, like they did with Live and Let Die and the Black Exploitation movies. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like this is... Uh, it, it's... You know, it's becoming too much of a pop culture reference, uh, where, where Bond, you know, Bond is becoming the trend chaser instead of trend maker. Exactly. So then, uh, you know, we're about an hour into the movie before Jaws comes back, which I, I'm, I'm not not a big fan of that. But anyway, uh, he ends up uh, attacking him on the. Uh, on the what you call it, the uh, sky car. Uh, oh yeah. And and sky car. another another thing, you know, it did not look real to me when he bites through the line. He just kind of like, you know, it doesn't look like he puts any pressure on it at all. It just kind of comes apart. You know, it, it. I think they needed to show make that look a little bit better. Maybe a different angle might have helped. Uh, and even even you know you follow that up with the, the uh, you know his car comes side by side with with Bonds and then he leaps. And it's like you could see the wires carrying him across. It was, it was the, the, the stunt work was was not good there. But the other thing is, he bites through the wire or cable to stop the car from moving, and then all of a sudden, he, when he's on it, it moves again. Yeah, and and the ultimately, I feel like you know he he finally confronts Bond, and he's only temporarily defeated, but he's defeated way too easily. You know, Bond just kind of flips him over and pushes him through an opening and then closes the opening, and you know he, he well, was he he was near in, in you know invulnerable in Spy Who Loved Me. Now all of a sudden he's he's like kind of like a clumsy fool. Well, yeah, because you want to have him have that goofy romance with the uh, pigtails and you know actually have him talk, you know. So it's 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 all just a softening so that you want to like him at the end. Yeah. So then know, we you know. If he's bloodthirsty and biting chunks out of people... You... He, but he's trying. They still have him trying to bite people in the Same neck. weight. Eh. But, but like, a bad, like a bad marksman, he keeps missing the mark. Yeah. The target. The target. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so you know, then Bond and, and uh, Holly take the uh, zip line down. Uh, <laughs> And it's just there's too much comedy in here, you know. We we, we you know I, I don't know if you recognize the actual love theme from Romeo and Juliet that they play by Tchaikovsky. Uh, 
but I, I but wasn't I still, paying that much attention. I, 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 I was like, I was like, I know this song. What this? What's this from? So I, I clicked the Soundhound app on my phone, and it told me that's what it is. Uh, and that's when they've also followed that up with the Magnificent Seven theme, which we mentioned. Oh, I, I, I got to go on a tangent here. Go ahead. Um, Doctor Goodhead, hilarious name. I love it. I think it's hilarious. It's it's way over the top. Lois Childs, mm, okay looking. She reminds me in this movie. She reminds me of every single feminist chick that I went to college with. Like you'd hold the door open and they don't say thank you and like they just stare daggers at you for no reason. Like why are you speaking right now? Yet she still jumps in the sack with them a couple of times. So it's like I don't know. I just everything about her performance is not good in this. I think she's my least favorite Bond girl of all of them. Hmm. I don't know. I'd have to think. She's a, yeah. definitely up there. She she is she is one of the least appealing as far as I'm concerned because there's nothing. Not that I look at her and think she's not good looking or whatever, but I just there's nothing about her that really stands out as special. There's no point where I think, oh my god, look at her, she looks great. There's no point where I look at her and think, oh look how competent she is. She's you know she's a matro bond or anything like that. There's no point where I find her character to be particularly appealing. She's she's the Denise Richards of. The Roger Moore movies. Mm. And we'll get really? to Denise Richards. Uh, uh, we have to. We will get there. Uh, so, you know, we, we get a lot of mugging from Jaws, which bothers me. Yeah. Um, when, when the ambulance attendants, after the zip line thing, uh, the ambulance attendants come over, Bond lets them get a jump on him a little too easy. You know, Bond, Bond shouldn't be quite that trusting where he lets the guy come up from behind him and whack him in the head. <laughs> Especially when he sees the guy coming. That's a good point. Well, well, not for anything. She's CIA, and she didn't seem to do much knowing the guy was a threat. But once again, uh, she, there was nothing about her character that stood out as, as good to me. So, you know, I, I think I expect better from Bond. Yeah. I don't expect better from her. So we, we cut to, uh, you know, they, they escape that situation, and then we get to finally the point when they're ready to go into space, and, or actually they get to the colony where he's got his uh, Noah's Ark people ready to go, because <laughs> for what it's worth, the plot is he's going to bring these people up into space, he's going to put nerve gas on Earth that will kill the people but not the animals, uh, and then when it's safe again, he's going to bring these people back and they're going to repopulate the world uh, with these uber beings. Uh, so you know, it's kind of like a Nazi Germany, Aryan race kind of thing going on. Uh, you, you mean as opposed to Strongberg, who had the same idea except didn't bring women along? Ah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that ultimately is his undoing because, you know, Jaws, who doesn't fit his uh, definition of the ideal uh physical specimen and uh you know his, his young lady friend uh who is definitely not because she's like what like five feet tall uh and glasses and glasses, and glasses. yes so you're so, saying that i would not be allowed into the space station for the master race that is what i'm saying god trust, damn it. trust me i don't think I'm, i don't think they're taking me either uh <laughs> how do you think the interviews went for who they're gonna take i'm just curious well, clearly they had to have no personality whatsoever. They just had to be vacuous. Arians. Matt, you look good in this white jumpsuit. 
Yep. There you go. Pretty much. Sold. So, uh, you know, I but know, that event, eventually when, when I, I do like the scene when, when Bond points out that, uh, you know, that that's the situation and that, you know, that, that Jaws isn't going to, uh, Jaws and his girl, Dolly, aren't actually going to be part of this master race. And, you know, Jaws then turns on them, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's fun. And it's, it's fun to see. They shouldn't have had him talk, though. They, that, if you want to have him pop the champagne, that's great. Have him do a big, goofy, toothy metal grin and pour the champagne, but don't have him only You know what? I didn't mind the talking only because it's the only time he speaks in two movies. You know, it's, it's that one moment and that's it. And at, at that point, you know, they've, they've pretty much, uh, you know, established him in everybody's eyes as being okay. And, you know, I, I, that didn't bother me quite so much. Um, but then, you know, we get to the big laser battle in space. With the and, Marines. And hey, I, I feel like it's poorly choreographed. Yeah. But I feel like the scene is poorly choreographed. The special effects don't look especially impressive. The laser beams look phony. The sound effects are bad. Uh, it really just does nothing for me. I, I, am, enter- I am entertained during this last portion of it because of the, the ridiculousness of it. But it is not in any way, shape, or form what I want from a Bond film. Well, wait a minute. Let, just to cover ridiculous, we bring back General Gothel from the KGB, who they call up to let know we're going up there, and he's wearing red pajamas. Um, that's the only acceptable color pajamas over there at the time. <laughs> Come on now. A little splash of yellow in there, maybe. That's it. Uh, Bond disposes of Drax in... Uh Sigourney Weaver, alien type fashion. Uh, that's br- I, and again, that's brutal too. Spacing somebody is like to me just ugh, ugh, the thought of that. Well, like I gotta assume I, I I could be wrong, but I've got to assume it is a very quick death. Because uh, you put into the vacuum of space, I assume the air is ripped out of your lungs and you're pretty much just dead right there. Uh, yeah, you're gonna be conscious enough to feel it, I think. Well, then again, he did get shot with one of those darts, which I thought was the cyanide one that went very quickly. Well, then he didn't need to space him, did he? Oh, maybe he just wanted to clean up. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. So they, they use the lasers, the Moonraker lasers, to eliminate the nerve gas, and the world is saved. Yay. And the and, but that ending joke from Q. He's attempting <laughs> reentry. That's, regardless of how ridiculous this movie is and how not good it is, Desmond Llewellyn delivering that line like a friggin' champ, and it makes me laugh like a bastard every time. Because yeah, Desmond Llewellyn is great. Yes, he is. The thing I really found funny was, I didn't remember this originally. When he says that line, I originally thought he was looking at Bond. I didn't realize he was looking at a a readout or something. Well, it's still funny. No, it's very funny. It's the best line in the movie. Yes, it is. And the silliness of it is fine because it's delivered by Q, not by Bond. Yes. Although mm-hmm. qu- quips are okay from Bond. What does he, uh, what does he oh, say? He like when, when she asked where Drax is, what, yeah, oh, he had to fly. It's, that's a terrible line. Yeah, it's not, not, not up there in terms of the great ones. You know, 
So, Bond will return now for your eyes only. My misery. Mm, like, okay, oh. yeah. That's... We, we missed the whole boat chase. Oh, there's a boat chase? Oh, yeah, there was a boat chase. We, we rehash, uh, what the hell was it? From Russia with Love. They're even playing the music from Russia with Love. The gypsy camp fight scene. Mm-hmm. They make no attempt to hide the derivative nature of this movie. In fact, they, they revel in it, they, you know, with the Close Encounters music and the Magnificent Seven music and Romeo and Juliet music. Uh, it, it's just, I guess, well, I mean, in, in, you it, know, to, to say it one way, though, like, if you're going to be derivative, I'd rather you try, you don't try and hide it. But, you know what, be more clever. Well, that's the thing. Like, in uh, Under Majesty's Secret Service, Bond goes into his office, he's quitting. There you go. Here's some knickknacks and some themes from the previous movies. Great. Done. Then it's over. You know, that's fine. And then, uh, you know, Die Another Day was the big anniversary one, right? 40 years or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, and there's all these all this special gadgets, yeah. include, including the uh, the rocket pack from Thunderball. You know, and then, and then that's done. It's not a continuing thing throughout the movie where we're just going to keep playing themes. Ugh. It's nice to see that they downsized the safe cracking equipment from on a Majesty's Secret Service. Yes. Well, you know, it's been like ten years, so travel size now. Ah, yes. So that's we've gone through all my notes on this movie. Do you guys have anything else? Nope. Uh, I'm just going to throw out the uh, where they try and assassinate Bond at the glass factory. Mm-hmm. Let. Let's send a guy with a stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, Let's not that even give him a sword. Well, the, which makes me think of Monty Python, when it, when it was a class to defend yourself against people with fruit. They <laughs> said, what if somebody comes out to you with a pointed stick? <laughs> uh, we also had tons of advertising from Seiko 7-Up and British, Air, uh, British Airways. Marlboro, everybody's in this one. So, yeah, that's part and parcel with the movies. I, I really can't fault them for that. I mean, these budgets, they had to get some sponsorship. So, and the uh, the final thing is where he goes into the uh, when he's doing his Clint Eastwood impression and arrives at the monastery, and the two guys are fighting there like training, and one flips the other one, and when he lands, he like gives him the sign of the cross. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Paul, put us out of our misery with this one. <laughs> All right, well, I'll tell you. Uh, this may well be the bottom for me. I, I think I gave I think I think gave uh, The Man with the Golden Gun like a solid Jaws 3, almost Jaws 2. No, I think I just gave it a solid Jaws 3, if I remember right. I'm going to give this one barely a Jaws 3. It, it, it almost scrapes to the point where I would give it a Jaws 4. Uh, except it is Bond and there's action and I could probably sit and watch it despite the fact that uh, they do so much wrong in it. So I'm going to say Jaws 3, but if if this was not James Bond, if this was just, you know, uh, generic secret agent man and not James Bond, I think this would be a Jaws 4. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm right with you. This is the lowest, lowest Jaws 3. 
I can't go any lower because the only the only thing worse is for, and I've reserved that special place for never say never again, as we've already. Got. <laughs> which which I think I gave a solid Jaws three for me. But anyway. Oh, it's uh, a Jaws four for me, it, it, for sure. And if I could use the Back to the Future scale, it'd be a Jaws nineteen. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jaws, Jaws 19 is so bad that it's unintentionally funny. Mm. So, that'd no. be a Jaws 5, right? I'm sorry, what? Would that be a Jaws 5? Yeah, or Jaws 19. Okay. I'm not sure. We go back and forth on that. But anyway, this, this, is, this does not have that distinction. So that will do it for Moonraker. Uh, I would just parenthetically note that this will be released on the feed months and months after we recorded it because uh you know we don't want to do too many bond movies consecutively uh but i would note that as of uh today word came out that teresa bond has passed away uh you know today we found out that diana rigg passed away and i would just uh want to you know mention that and and uh, have you know have our sympathies to the rigg family Anyway, that'll do it. I'm gonna not going to get all somber on it. That'll do it for this time. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks again, Dave and Chris, for coming on and doing this with me. Happy to be here. Thank you. The three of us will get together again soon and do uh, For Your Eyes Only, which, as I said, I can tell you will be a, uh, a big improvement over this one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Bye-bye. You appear with the tedious inevitability. <laughs> of an unloved season. I didn't think there were any seasons in space. As far as you're concerned, only winter. And the treacherous Dr. Goodhead. Despite your efforts, my finely wrought dream approaches its fulfillment. Your dream, whatever sort of nightmare it is, has no chance, Drax. <laughs> you think not? We shall see. We're coming up to second launch position. Launch globe number two. No doubt you have realized the splendor of my conception. First, a necklace of death about the Earth. Fifty globes, each releasing its nerve gas over a designated area, each capable of killing 100 million people. The human race, as you know it, will cease to exist. Then, a rebirth, a new world. U.S. spacecraft on course to intercept us, sir. Activate laser. Prepare to destroy spacecraft. You see, my dear Bond, we're well able to protect ourselves against all enemies. Allow me to introduce you to the airlock chamber. Observe, Mr. Bond, your route from this world to the next. And you, Dr. Goodhead, your desire to be America's first woman in space will shortly be fulfilled.
Leaving you on your flying stud farm, conceiving your new master race. If you like, yes. And of course, anyone not measuring up to your standards of physical perfection will be exterminated. Certainly. Interesting. Most interesting. Jaws. Expel them. Jaws, you obey me. Expel! 